Hey guys, my name is Abby and welcome to Nearsighted. Quite like that jingle. It's quite nice, isn't it? Hi, it's me again. The game plan for this episode, I'm I'm literally just going to pick up where I left off in part 1. So if you're like absolutely scratching your head, like wondering what I'm talking about, maybe give part one a listen. I'm I'm just talking about Evermore, as in the Taylor Swift album Evermore. That's honestly all you have to know. We are kicking off part two with track 10, Ivy, and I seriously could not think of a better place to start. I mean, Ivy is the song. It's the song. I love it. I would die for this song. First of all, Ivy is a song about a lesbian love affair. Now, does she say it's a lesbian love affair? Not explicitly, but it's one of those things that I know for certain. Like there's, there's really no arguing with this one. Like go ahead and try, like try, like, I don't know, try to make an argument that this is a straight song. It's not, you can't make the argument. It it doesn't exist. There's no evidence for it. First of all, the whole chorus of the song is about how the narrator's lover is like Ivy. It's like the narrator is a house of stone and the narrator's lover is like Ivy, like wrapping around her, covering her. Like the chorus is literally, my house of stone, your Ivy grows, and now I'm covered in you. Ivy is such a strictly feminine metaphor. Like you cannot describe a man as Ivy. The image of ivy growing around a stone house is such, it's so sapphic. There's just, from that line alone, there's, there's no way the song isn't about two women. But okay, if you want further evidence, there's a line in the bridge where she says, what would he do if he found us out? He's going to burn this house to the ground, referring to, um, like, the husband. And it's like, if this was about a woman cheating on her husband with another man... Like, yeah, it might be a little bit scandalous, but whether you want to take that he's going to burn this house to the ground as, like, a very literal reaction or a more figurative one, regardless, that's a very extreme reaction to have when you find out that your wife has been cheating on you. And, like, I just don't think a man would have that extreme of a reaction if his wife was, like, cheating with another man. But like with another woman, like, yeah, he's going to burn the house to the ground. It honestly gets even crazier because I think that this not only is the song about a lesbian love affair, but I'm going to argue that it's specifically about Emily Dickinson and her lover, Sue. And here's the thing about Emily and Sue. Emily never married, was never interested in marriage. She grew up in a rich family, so she basically just like spent her time in isolation, furiously writing poetry. And she would give a lot of her poems to Sue and they were like all dedicated to Sue. Sue was her muse, her inspiration. And they were, historians think they were very close friends. You know how it goes. And Sue actually ended up marrying Emily's brother. I know, I know, it's fucked, I know. So Sue eventually became Emily's sister-in-law. They were, but they were lovers. I think, so I think the song is about Emily and Sue for a number of reasons. First of all, Evermore, the album, is heavily, like, Emily Dickinson inspired. 
it's part of the reason why Evermore on the whole is, in my opinion, very sapphic. And December 10th, 2020, the date of the album's release was also Emily Dickinson's birthday. Taylor literally released an album on Emily Dickinson's birthday. She could have waited. Like, once again, this was a very quickly produced album. She, she wasn't in a rush by any means. She could have waited. That is for sure intentional. She's previously released, like, she released You Need to Calm Down on, like, Donald Trump's birthday, for example. Like, she, she's done this in the past. So, like, this was definitely intentional on her part. Second of all, the beginning of the second verse is I wish to know the fatal flaw that makes you long to be magnificently cursed. And if that doesn't scream Emily Dickinson, I don't know what does. This woman literally lived in isolation and wrote poetry. She didn't even publish her poems. Like most of her poems, her letters never saw the light of day because she was like writing them for suit. Like she just wrote on her own for funsies. She didn't want to be famous. Like she just, she just did it for funsies. So like fatal flaw that makes you long to be magnificently cursed is so Emily Dickinson. Third of all, there's a line where the narrator says, dare to sit and watch what will become and drink my husband's wine. I think, I think Sue is the narrator of the song, by the way. But something about the line and drink my husband's wine just implies a level of familiarity between the narrator's lover and the narrator's husband. Because if you're just like having an affair with someone, you were in their home, like you wouldn't just be like drinking their spouse's wine. Like, I don't know, maybe you would, but I just... That feels a little bit, feels a little bit like that's a little too far over the line, if you know what I mean. So it just implies a level of comfort. And if, if Sue was married to Emily's brother, like she's literally in her brother's house, she's drinking her brother's wine. So that makes a lot more sense to me. Fourth of all, and this is definitely the most incriminating piece of evidence we have. There is a show called Dickinson on Apple TV. It's with like Haley Steinfeld and stuff. And it's, uh, it's about Emily Dickinson, but obviously they take a lot of like creative and artistic liberties. Not only did Taylor let them use Ivy in the show, but she let them use Ivy in what had to be the gayest episode in the show's entire run. Like I'm talking intense lesbian scene fade to black ivy plays while the credits are rolling case closed no further questions but in all seriousness regardless of what your interpretation of the song is this is truly a fantastic song and it's probably the epitome of cottagecore like from from the first line, the how's one to know, you are instantly transported into like 19th century cottage at the edge of a field in early spring. Like that, those are the, the vibes of the song are absolutely just chef's kiss, absolutely positively immaculate. And, and you know that it's a good song because up until now, I could have sworn the song was like two minutes long and I recently just found out it's four minutes long. Like, that's how you know it's good. Because I, I seriously can never get enough of it. By the way, I have a playlist on Spotify called How's One to Know. And it's all the songs that have been significant to my lesbianism. And Ivy is obviously the first track on the playlist. Obviously. So it's, it's all really fun. It's all really good. Favorite lyric... 
I don't have one favorite lyric from the song. The whole, I like the whole thing. The whole thing is good. That's kind of a cop-out answer. So I, I am going to give a real answer. Um, so Taylor, queen of bridges, she has given us not one, but two bridges in this song. And I have to say in the second bridge, um, she says, yeah, it's a war. So yeah, it's a war. It's the goddamn fight of my life and you started it. It's something about the way she says it. It's it's fantastic. So I want to say that's my I want to say that's my favorite, but honestly, I like the whole thing so much. Track 11 is Cowboy Like Me. And I freaking love this song as well. Let me tell you, every single time I'm listening to this album in full and we get into the Ivy into Cowboy Like Me stretch, I am living. I mean, this is just what Evermore is all about. So Cowboy Like Me, I've actually talked about this in a previous episode. The premise of this episode is just one of the... Did I just say episode? I totally meant song. The premise of this song is one of those things that I'm like, who comes up with this stuff? Like, how does she do it? This song is about these two con artists who attend fancy events like black tie galas and fundraisers to basically scam rich people out of money. But at one of these events, they coincidentally meet each other and they fall in love. And then the question then becomes uh, whether or not they can trust each other, basically. But it's all so subtle. Like, you really wouldn't know. You, you have to really think about it to piece it all together. Her vocals on this song are absolutely to die for. My friends and I often describe her voice as very, like, velvety. And I think that quality really shines through on this track. Because she doesn't, like, she doesn't belt or hit any crazy notes. She just tells the story and her voice is so smooth and gentle. It's like a lullaby almost. And it's like incredibly emotive. She does a really good job on it. I think there's really something to be said about the premise of this song and the fact that the person who is the most similar to you is also the person you can trust the least. I just think it says a lot about the narrator of this song and how she doesn't trust herself. Like, she sees herself in her lover, which is why she sees her lover as this, like, flight risk, as someone who can hurt her where it hurts most, as someone who can betray her. It's like she sees all those things in herself as well. Favorite lyric is, Now I'm waiting by the phone like I'm sitting in an airport bar. I Something about this line, because sitting in an airport bar is really empty and lonely like you really have nothing better to do if you're passing time meaninglessly all alone in an airport bar but now instead of like passing time in an airport bar she's like passing time by waiting for her her cowboy lover to call her if you will but there's still this sense of like i have nothing better to do than wait around for you or like is it even worth waiting around for you like, is it worth waiting for you if I can't even trust you because I can't trust myself? It's just, it's all a really interesting connotation. This song, there's layers to this song, for sure. Track 12 is Long Story Short. This is a, this is a very lighthearted summary of the Reputation Era slash Kimye scandal, basically. Like it's a she she says long story short it was a bad time long story short I survived, 
So it's a little, it's, it's probably the most autobiographical song in the way that we're used to for Taylor. It's not really like monumental by any means. Like she doesn't do anything super big, but it's still a great little self-referential moment. You know, we, we love, she says, she says things like, Pass me, I want to tell you not to get lost in these petty things. Your nemeses will defeat themselves before you get the chance to swing. It was just like a great little dig. My favorite lyric from this song is, Actually, I always felt I must look better in the rear view. And I gotta say, when I first heard this line, I was like, Is she... Is she talking about her ass? Like, is she... Like... (laughs) Is anyone else is anyone else seeing this? And I think I think like I think she knows that people probably like stop at that line and wonder that. It's a it's a little bit of a cheeky line, pun fully intended. But I think she's talking about like a rear view mirror of a car. So she's basically saying she thinks she looks better as people are driving away from her. It's like in hindsight, people realize she's not so bad after all. It's like story of her life am i right i'm actually a big fan i actually referenced the long story short it was a bad time long long story short i survived line uh quite a bit anytime you like finally get out of a toxic situation anytime you emerge from a dark time in your life you know it's long story short it was a bad time long story short i survived track 13 is marjorie Marjorie was Taylor's maternal grandmother, and not so coincidentally, track 13 on Folklore is dedicated to her paternal grandfather. So, a little cinematic parallel for you. Her grandmother, Marjorie, who the song is about, um, was actually an opera singer, so obviously someone who had a really big influence on Taylor and uh, her, her grandmother passed away, so this, this song is her way of grieving her grandmother. And at one point in the song, they actually put Marjorie's singing voice in the actual recording itself, in the background vocals. Which, when I first heard that, I thought it was a little spooky, but n- now I think it's actually, now I think it's really beautiful that they did that. <laughs> I think, okay, so overall, the song isn't super for me. I think the the chorus falls a bit flat and it feels a little bit repetitive. But I really like what the song stands for. So I consulted someone who loves the song. Well, someone who, well, so I consulted Aaron and Aaron is probably the number one fan of this song's bridge. And here's what she had to say. The melody of the song is pretty boring but i love the melody of the bridge it feels like she's pouring out the lyrics that they're spilling out of her the pouring flow of this bridge comes from the rhyming how to be down for me store receipt taken from me your name marjorie backlog dreams the bridge encapsulates not understanding your grandma as a child taking experiences for granted regret of not understanding them grasping for memories and then recognizing what they left you And I totally agree with all of that. I think the bridge is phenomenal. Once again. Once again. 
Um, in part one of this episode, I talked about how Taylor is really good at building bridges up to the most pivotal moment of the song. And here, I think that moment is watched as you signed your name, Marjorie, um, which also happens to be the only time in the whole song that she says the song's title and which is also her grandmother's name. So it's the only time in the whole song that she says Marjorie and the whole bridge like flows up to watched as you signed your name, Marjorie. It's just something about this song is so poetic. I love what it stands for. It's like she's not only memorializing her grandmother in her music, like her grandmother is not only living on through this song, but also through her. Like, her grandmother was a singer, Taylor's a singer, like, Taylor, every day, is, like, a continuation of her grandmother's unrealized dreams. I just, I think that's really beautiful and really moving. Favorite lyric is, should have kept every grocery store receipt because every scrap of you would be taken from me. Track 14 is Closure. I'm really sorry to all of the Closure fans out there. This one's a skip for me. Hear me out. It's just too repetitive. And I know that's the point. So the song, as you guessed, is about closure. And the whole thing is just the narrator kind of trying to convince herself that she has closure, but she clearly doesn't because she keeps repeating the same lines over and over again. But like to me, it doesn't really read, like Taylor does this in other songs, but it doesn't really read as a sort of like heart racing, building layers of anxiety out of the woods type of repetitive. It's kind of just, it kind of just feels repetitive for no reason. I would love to be persuaded to change my mind, obviously, but as of right now, it's not, it's not my favorite thing ever. But my favorite lyric and this is a great line nonetheless. My favorite lyric is, don't treat me like some situation that needs to be handled. I'm fine with my spite and my tears and my beers and my candles. Great line. So before we get into the grand finale of the episode, the the final track on the standard version of the album, which is Miss queen evermore herself i want to talk about the bonus tracks because they're some of taylor's best bonus tracks period in my opinion so bonus track one is right where you left me this is a song about an absolutely paralyzing breakup a lot of evermore and i've kind of talked about this a little bit, but a lot of Evermore is about moving on from the past. And contrary to all of that, this song is about what happens when you just cannot move on. So she kind of explores that feeling of like literally being able to remember every single detail of the moment that the relationship ended. And the narrator is so paralyzed that she quite literally feels like she just like hasn't physically moved at all. Everyone else around her moves on, but she's, like, left behind. And this is a theme that Taylor's played around with for years. She's explored this idea of love distorting time 
Um, She has this recurring theme of time moving too fast when you're in love. Like, for example, in the song You Are In Love, she says, time moves too fast, you played it back. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, she's also talked a lot about how time doesn't move at all when you're heartbroken. Like, she said herself, this is, Taylor said this, I've always said that the world is a different place for the heartbroken. It moves on a different axis, at a different speed. Time skips backwards and forwards fleetingly. There are so many examples of this in her breakup songs, so I'm going to read some of my favorites. So in Death by a Thousand Cuts, she says, I dress to kill my time. I take the long way home. In Cardigan, she says, I knew you'd linger like a tattoo kiss. I knew you'd haunt all of my what-ifs. The smell of smoke would hang around this long. And then my personal favorite, which is also probably the most famous example of this, is from All Too Well. And it's the line where she says, time won't fly. It's like I'm paralyzed by it. So I really like Right Where You Left Me. I really like that it's kind of like a very natural continuation of this theme. My favorite lyric in the song, and I think this has a lot to do with the way she delivers this line specifically, My favorite lyric is, At the restaurant, when I was still the one you want, cross-legged in the dim light, everything was just right. I, I could feel the mascara run. You told me you had met someone. Glass shattered on the white cloth. Everybody moved on, but I, and then it kind of keeps going. It's the way she delivers this specific set of lines. It literally sounds like she is the character back in that exact moment. And she's literally fighting back the tears. I've talked about this with my friends before. Um, It's like, Taylor is obviously, she's never known for hitting the highest notes or having the most technically sound singing voice ever. But you, you do have to give it to her that she is a very emotive singer. Like she conveys a lot of emotion through her voice. And she is really good at enunciating everything and just like bringing these stories to life. And I think that ability is really highlighted on this specific song. Bonus track two is It's Time to Go. I've also talked about this one before. I love this song. This is basically just about that moment where you've realized you've outgrown something. You're sitting there, you're like, something isn't quite right. It's time to go. It's time to move on. And honestly, I think this song like really gets to the core of what Evermore is about as, a, as an album. It's about growth. It's about reinvention. It's about moving forward. She also has little autobiographical insertions into this one that I'm a really big fan of. She references Miss Kloss. Carly Kloss. Again, she says, when the words of a sister come back in whispers, that proof she was not, in fact, what she seemed. Not a twin from your dreams. She's a crook who was caught. And then she also references the whole Scooter Braun uh, ownership of her music debacle. She says, he's got my past frozen behind glass, but I've got me. That's a great line because this was obviously the last album she released before she started releasing her re-recordings. So it's a great little nod to what's to come. Favorite lyric, and I will forever stand by the fact that this is an insane line. 
that old familiar body ache, the snaps from the same little breaks in your soul, and you know when it's time to go. Okay, it's time to talk about Evermore. Track 15, Evermore, featuring Bonnie Bear, who is absolutely phenomenal on this song. He, he really carries the second half of this song. We've really got to give it to him. Here's my interpretation of this song. This song is about experiencing a type of pain, hurt, sadness, that while you're in the middle of it, while you're experiencing it, you wake up every day and you're like, oh my god, this is going to last forever. I'm never going to be the same again. I'm never going to be happy again. I'm going to be in pain for the rest of my life. Like This pain will be forevermore. And then there comes a moment, there comes a turning point, this first glimpse of light where you're like, oh wait, maybe things are getting better. Things are getting better. Things are looking brighter. I can recover from this. I can heal from this. I can come back from this. And all of a sudden your whole mindset shifts. It's no longer, this is going to last forever. It's now, this doesn't have to last forever. The first half of this song is about the narrator being sad. It's about the pain and the sadness that the narrator feels. And then there's this shift. And if you've heard the song, I'm sure you're familiar, where um, the the melody changes, the instrumentals change, and Bonnie Iver starts his part. And this shift, I think this is a really cool tidbit. It comes at pretty much the exact halfway point of the song. And then there's kind of this back and forth that Bonnie Iver and Taylor do. Like, I'm not going to try to emulate it. Like, if you've heard the song, you know. If you haven't heard the song, you literally uh, go listen to the song right now. Like, turn off this podcast and go listen to the song. It's not even a joke. You have to go listen to it. And then at the end of this little, like, duet that they do, Taylor goes, you were there. And then it returns to the original melody and instrumental. But this time, she's talking about how the narrator is talking about how she's, like, healing and recovering. And instead of saying, this pain will be forevermore, um, she says this pain won't be forevermore. And if if there weren't already enough reasons to love this song, the title, also the title of the album, obviously, comes from, and here we are again, comes from an Emily Dickinson poem, well, this is what people believe at least, called One Sister I Have in Our House, and it's obviously a poem about Sue. And the final line of that song, it, or the final line of that poem, excuse me, is Sue forevermore. So the fact that it's called evermore, the fact that she says the word forevermore, forevermore is actually one of the last lines on the entire album. Like the ending of the song is, this pain wouldn't be forevermore, evermore. It really, all I'm saying is that it, it really doesn't take a rocket scientist to see what she's trying to do here. It's just, it's good to know that Taylor loves Emily as much as the gays do. But this is seriously one of my favorite songs of all time. It is immaculate. It is a perfect piece of music from beginning to end. It literally, like, this album came out, like, while I was basically experiencing what this song was 
talks about. So, I mean, you can probably only imagine like how crazy it was for me. It's really moving. It's really well done. Everyone pulled through the instrumentals, Taylor, Bonnie Vare's falsetto. I mean, people, people worked their asses off to bring us this piece of music. And they sure did a fantastic job. Favorite lyric, I don't have one favorite lyric. The entire bridge Bonnie Bear duet is my favorite thing ever. And she says she says she she uses a second person pronoun you, but I've always interpreted you to just be like whatever is pulling you to the other side of this like horrible time in your life. So it goes, and when I was shipwrecked, I thought of you. In the cracks of light, I dreamed of you. It was real enough to get me through, but I swear you were there. And the way she sings, you were there, I seriously will never get over it. Yeah. That's the album. That's my summary. Those are my thoughts. That's my deep dive. And like, this is why her discography is so crazy because you can just discover new things every time you try to look for like every single time you try to analyze these songs you can discover something new i'm literally i'm recording this at night and i swear my voice is like gone like my voice like literally sounds like i probably i probably like don't sound super hot but that's just the way it is okay thank you for listening as always i love you and i'll see you in the next one okay bye